0: Why don't you open up to, first of all, book of Matthew chapter 26, we'll be jumping on that. If you guys have a Bible, uh, we have some ushers that would love to get you a Bible. Raise your hand and would be happy to get you one. So we started a little series last week, and uh, we will continue that series today to this kind of a, a little last iteration of this. Um, next week, I'm actually going to be gone, I mentioned that to you guys a couple weeks ago. Um, I have a really good friend of mine that will be teaching next week, you we don't want kind to of miss it, he's just, just a phenomenal uh, teacher, good friend, uh, he's actually from Santa Maria, so if you are like, can anything good come out of Santa Maria, trust me, yes, a lot of good stuff of Santa Maria, yes, yes, amen, and uh, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have him come and speak, um, and then immediately the week after that, we're going to be getting back into the book of First Peter, which is a book that we've been in, studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter going through, um, what I'm excited about, we're going to be jumping into chapter 3, which will begin sort of a little series within, the bigger series, uh, looking at marriage and family and husbands and wives. We're going to be even looking at singleness and dating. I think it will be a really pertinent series for the entirety of our church community. But right now, I want to really focus on the bigger topic that's at hand right now that we've been really trying to focus on the past couple weeks, which is this bigger question as to... What are the things that, as a church community, that we sense God calling us to be about? Uh, in other words, it's sort of our vision series. It's a way for us to refocus our attention and to really ask bigger questions. What does God have for us as a community of God's people on the Central Coast, here in San Luis Obispo and beyond? What does it look like for us to live as followers of Jesus? And my hope would be to try to put some uh, flesh to that question so that we can begin to live that out. Um, Again, we do this every year. It's a way for us as a church family to really think about this, so that we truly begin to embody this. Again, if you're new here, it's a way for you to really begin to think about, is this a church that God wants you to be a part of? If you've been here for any length of time, it's a way for you to really kind of re-up, renew your commitment as to what it looks like for you to live as a follower of Jesus here on the Central Coast. So with that, we've been looking at at least three major things that we see God calling us to be as a church community. Number one, a community of people that love God. We looked at that last week, and again, if you work here, check out the message online. And today, I really want to focus on the latter two of those, which is love others and then do good. So love God, love others, and do good. This is what we see in just short, general terms, what God is calling us to as a church family. So with that, I want to pray and then we'll begin to take a look at some important topics on this and teachings and texts on this and hopefully it'll make some sense and we'll finish up and then we'll be able to get to some kind of uh, fellowship and really good food and hopefully you guys will have your love cups filled. I mean, overflow. I mean, in a sense, feeling like this is a community that Jesus is here. That's what my hope is. So Jesus, right now, thank you for your presence here. We ask to God that you would uh, speak to our hearts Make your ways known to us Give us ears to hear Give us eyes to see All that you have for us So thank you for this time here Thank you for the many amazing uh, Servants and helpers And team members That were able to help Provide uh, All of this So that we as a church family Can worship together And we pray you Jesus Christ. Amen So what that means today, I want for us to really think about What it means for us To really live as disciples um, I think it's important, first of all, as you jump in this, to think about, we like to use language as the Bible uses it, which is the word disciple. Uh, did you know that throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the common word that's used to describe followers of Jesus is not Christian? I know in our modern language, we tend to think of people that follow Jesus as being Christians. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not how the New Testament actually uses the designation of people that follow Jesus. The number one usage that gets utilized to describe those that follow Jesus is the word disciple. In fact, that word gets used around 250 some odd times in the New Testament to describe those who follow Jesus. The word Christian actually gets used as a term of derision to define those people who are like Jesus. So, all that can be said, do we need to change our terminology? Not necessarily, you can keep calling yourself Christian and fine, But I just want to make sure you understand why the designation disciple is so important essential to our terminology, to our language. The big idea behind this is a disciple is someone that follows Jesus. What I want to do right now is I want to think deeply about what does this really mean? Because as a community of people here on the Sermon Ghost called Follow Jesus, this means that we have a New Testament understanding as to how this plays out in practice so that we can then actually embody it and live it. So if you guys would like, like to open up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Uh, we're going to look at a few of the passages in just a moment. But first I want to just focus on Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And I want to ask the question, what is a disciple? I think this passage gives us a good understanding as to what that means. I'll read it. I'll make a couple comments and then we'll move on. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 says this. Jesus speaking says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me and I will make you Christians of men. So basically, three movements. Come, follow me, and I will make you Christians of men. The first movement is, if you're a notes, write this down. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. A disciple is one who knows, meaning there's a relationship, and you follow Jesus. You don't follow popular, influential pastor. You don't follow really cool hip Worship leader, you don't follow some Instagram influencer, you follow Jesus. You know Jesus. You have a relationship with the one who makes you. First of all, it's the big E on the eye chart. Second thing is, a disciple is one who's being changed by Jesus. So think of the word transformation. Change. If you look at your life and you say, I've been a Christian for a very long time, I've never changed. You need to step back and ask the question Are you really a disciple? Maybe you know information about God. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you're associated to a church or with a church, but you're not really a disciple. Another word to think about the word disciple is the word apprentice. To think about in modern terminology, an apprentice is somebody that basically works under and learns the trade of another, every aspect of the trade. They learn how they do whatever their trade is. They learn the nuances of that trade. They basically follow in the footsteps of the one who is the leader of that, the master of that trade. So, number one, a disciple is one who knows and follows Jesus. Number two, a disciple is one who's being changed by Jesus. Number three, a disciple is one who does what Jesus did. This is where Jesus says, Come follow me, I will make the creatures of men. In other words, I will help train you to be people that do what I do. This is the important aspect of what it means to be a disciple. This, by the way, is what we are all about as a church community. Our aim as a church is not to be a big, influential church. Our aim is not to become necessarily a great church, whatever that means. Our aim is to be a faithful community of disciples. People who follow Jesus, People that truly want to know and follow Him. People that truly want to be changed and transformed by Him. And people that are ultimately doing what Jesus did. So, I also want to just focus a little bit, real briefly now, shift and think about what are some challenges or problems to modern day discipleship. So in other words, if you are trying to be faithful to follow Jesus today, you'll know that there's at least three things, there's a lot of them, but I'll just give you the top three, that are very difficult challenges for us as modern people living in San Luis Obispo on the Central Coast 2021 to follow Jesus. Here's the three ones. Number one, uh, we live within a culture of information. In other words, there's a myth that goes along with each one of these as well. So the myth of living in the culture of information is that all you need is... This is the myth, by the way. All you need is information to be a good disciple of Jesus. In other words, discipleship, following Jesus, all you need to do is have proper theological understanding, and therefore you are a disciple of Jesus. That's the myth. So you might have a lot of good understanding about who God is. You might even be perfectly orthodox or historic in your understanding of Jesus. It doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say in the book of James, uh, he talks about the devil. He believes, but he is not a follower. He believes in God. The enemy, Satan, believes in God, but he's not a disciple of God. He knows God exists. He knows certain truths about God. He does not believe those things. I speak about him in a gender as a he, but the point of the matter is this. That Following Jesus, it's not just enough to have information about Jesus. That is a myth. So, in other words, the idea of information, the culture of information, is a problem that we face as followers of Jesus. Number two, we live in a culture of individualism. Rugged right in individualism, I would with that. Meaning, the idea is, in terms of the myth, is I don't need anybody else to really be a follower of Jesus. I just need me and Jesus, and we're all good. That's a myth. When Jesus speaks to people in the New Testament, he's always speaking to the plural. There's a community. The myth of somehow thinking that all you need is just a nice personal relationship with Jesus, and that's it, is a myth. It, it's more reflective of the culture of individualism that we live in today. Which means, we actually to need each other. We need each other to fulfill the actual act, actions of Properly, The third myth is we live in a culture of consumerism, and the myth goes something like this, that church is merely an activity that I attend in order to avail myself of goods and services, and that's it. In other words, if you have viewed church, for example, on Sunday morning, there's not a whole lot of goods and services that we're providing right now, being in a parking lot or a tent, but you get the idea. There's a tendency for us to kind of think that church is nothing more than a thing I show up to. I hear a good sermon, I listen to some good music, I send a good a few, some, a few good songs, I maybe give a little bit of money, meaning I just drop my money in the box and then I walk away, and therefore I am now a good disciple of Jesus. And I would push back on that gently and say, that is a myth. That is merely being a good consumer, not a good disciple. It's a been the of some of you, this may be new information for some of you, but I want for you to at least think biblically and think in terms of how Jesus casts the vision for what discipleship is. Because my deep aim, and the deep aim of the elders and leaders of our church family, is to see a community of people that are deeply devoted to being followers of Jesus. That's our big aim. So with that being said, I want to really jump in and begin to think about what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? And what does that look like, especially in light of a construct of loving God, loving others, and doing good? So, with that, I want to just look at a, an analogy or a story of the life of Jesus. I want to read a passage to you. I'll make a couple of quick observations, and I'll finish with some very practical means that we kind of envision us, the church community, embodying the lifestyle of Jesus. So, if you would like, why don't you open up to two passages. Why don't you open up to the book of Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where you can write this one down, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and then open in your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. Matthew 26, 47. First, look at Acts 10, verse 38. I'll read this to you. Just listen to what it It says, And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing good, Healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So very clearly, what we see with the life of Jesus. In fact, if you were to do like a little practice, um, L G for love God, L O for love others, and D G for doing good. If you were to just read your Bible with those three little acronyms in mind, and wrote down that those little acronyms every single time you either read a passage that taught us to do that, or embodied that by way of example or action. Your Bibles would be filled with L-G-L-O-D-G, right? All over the place. Because that's exactly what the New Testament is really all about, conveying this. But what we see, first of all, is that Jesus went around doing good. What does doing good look like? It actually looks like loving others. And loving God, that's the whole aim. That's what discipleship is. That's what we look at as our ultimate example and life giver and say, we want to be like him. You want to be like Jesus. So, Matthew chapter 26, verse 47 through 56 says this. Uh, this is the time in Jesus' life where it's the final movement of his life. He goes to this garden of Gethsemane, if you're familiar with it. The word Gethsemane literally means all press. It's the place where Jesus goes just before he's going to be betrayed, before he's going to be executed. And he's there with his disciples. And while he's there in this garden called the olive press, he begins to pray out to his father. And in prayer, and while he's praying, all of a sudden we're told in verse 26, it says this, While Jesus was speaking, Judas then came, who was one of the twelve, with him, along with a great crowd, with swords and clubs, and from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given him a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus, and at once said, Greetings, Rabbi. And then he kissed them. Verse fifteen. He says, Then Jesus said to him, "Friend, do what you have come to do." And then he came and he laid hands on Jesus and he seized him. Verse one. One of those here who was with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and then cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, "Put your sword back in its place. For all who take up the sword will perish by the sword." Do you think that I did not? That do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that this must be so? And at that hour, Jesus then said to the crowds, "Have you come out against an insurrectionist with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat the temple teaching, and we did not seize me. But all of this was taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left them. Fled, but I want you to think about in just the story that I read right here why I think this is so significant. Because again, disciples—someone that lives their lives in accordance with their master, Jesus—they look at the life of Jesus, they love Jesus, they simply follow Jesus, and everything that Jesus does. Which means and requires of us as disciples to look at the life of Jesus pay attention to his life, and really then begin to observe, how can I live my life in ways that are like his? And I like to basically give four bullet points of the life of Jesus when we we'll on to the next thing we'll be done. Uh, first thing I noticed with regard to Jesus is that when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he actually calls him friend. Did you get that? Take a look at verse 50. Judas comes to him, he betrays him with a kiss, nonetheless, and then Jesus turns to him as an act of friendliness. It says, friend. I so just you think about that. What would you do knowing that someone is there to betray you? They have nothing but anger, frustration, dubious intentions in their heart against you, yet Jesus we see in his actions turning to Judas and calling him friend. Second thing I notice in verse 51 and 52 is Jesus, when he noticed Peter take out a sword and See, violence. Jesus actually rebukes Peter for his violence. Did you get that? So again, Peter, again, what's amazing to me about this whole entire situation, is that Jesus is in the midst of the most traumatic moments of his life, up until this point, and he uses this as like a tiki moment. Hey, Peter, by the way, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Wait, what? Why are you doing this, Jesus? Because Jesus is good, he went about doing good, and everything he's all about is about loving the God and loving others. And in this moment, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, violence is not the answer. Shedding blood is not the answer. The third thing I have say is Jesus anchors confidence in God's sovereignty. Take a look at verse 53. Immediately after all this begins to transpire... Jesus turns to Peter. Peter, don't you know? I literally can turn to my Father, and my Father in this instant can cause legion of angels to come immediately and rescue me. Jesus is deeply tethered to God's kingdom. that God is in control. Jesus knows this. This is what it looks like to live a life that is good, trusting the Father. Jesus. Is deeply tethered to the Father. The last movement we see in this is actually not in this account, it's actually a loose account. And it's this passage when Peter takes out his swords, locks off the ear of this high priest servant by the name of Malchus, then Jesus actually picks up this ear and heals it. So this is the last thing. Again, Jesus heals this wounded servant and redeems the massive faux pas of Peter. So a lot happening in this story here. But what it tells us is it's this window into who your king is. It's a window into, in terms of who we want to become like. Because I think we can all agree that not all churches in modern America have acted good. Would you agree that? Not all pastors, not all leaders, not all Christians have demonstrated goodness. Or love God, right? Or love others properly? I think we would all agree that we, to some degree, are just tired, tired, exhausted, tired. Of me. Maybe even angry, frustrated, of the degree of hypocrisy. And I'm not saying that we're necessarily overcoming that perfect, uh, perfectly. What I am suggesting is that our aim, our aim, our longing, our deep desire. It's to be a community of people that are so deeply committed to the life of God that we're becoming shaped by this God who loves us and gave himself for us. That we become a community of people that truly love God, truly love others, and truly are known for doing good. Now, I'll throw a couple of in here because the rest of the text is actually filled with this type of teaching, filling the rest of the pages of the Testament. I'll give you a couple proofs. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. In fact, the writing notes, you can down. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. I'm going to read all of it, but I just want to make some highlights But I want you to understand, just by way of these little passages, that this is not just Jesus throwing out some teaching here. The entirety of the New Testament is all summed up in these three big ideas: loving God, loving others. In doing good. Paul would say this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is Paul's way of basically saying love God, love others. You're good. Here's Peter. Peter, the very guy that paints out a sword at one other point in his life. Thank God for him allowing multiple chances of growth and development. Because just a few years earlier, Peter had sword in hand. And he wasn't just simply going for a guy's spear, mind you. Peter was literally going to kill this guy. That's what he was aiming for. He missed. Apparently he's not a very good swordsman. He just simply caught the guy's spear. But Peter was given another chance. And here's Peter at a later stage in his life, at a later development in his life, at a later moment in his life, as he's begun to grow and develop as a follower of Jesus. And here's what he writes He says, This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put in silence the ignorance of foolish people. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the guy, sword in hand, who's ready to spill blood against his enemies. Years later, change. That's what the gospel does, transforms us. Here is the Apostle John, throwing one more for measure. John says this in First John chapter four, verse ten. He says, "This is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to appreciation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us." His love is affected And this is John's basic way of saying, as we recognize the depth of the love of God that he has for us, then we want to begin to show outwardly our love for other people. So in summary, what I want to just do, I want to finish with some practical way, practices, if you will that I think would help you. So in other words, if you're sitting here this morning, and your question is rising in your heart, how do I get in? What do I do? What are some practices that I can engage in in order to truly embody love of God, love for others, and doing good? How do I do that? Here's three things. Number one, the idea of loving God, just practically. Number one, develop a regular, practical habit daily, just reading Scripture. Just start there. Some of us have not developed that habit yet. I know for many, many years of my Christian walk, I did not actually have that habit. In fact. I would say for me, I started off at my Christian walk as I was 16, 17 years old, beginning to read the Bible on a regular basis, and then, honestly, really be quite frank with you, when I began pastoring the church, life was extremely busy. I stopped reading on a regular basis. I mean, I was reading my Bible on a regular basis, preparing for Bible studies. But as a regular habit of just being a disciple, with Bible in hand, reading Scripture, devotionally thinking about who Jesus is, asking the questions of the discipleship on a practical level, just because I love God and I know that He loves me. There's many years I just simply did not do that, and it literally hasn't been until the past, I would like say, seven to eight years that it's begun to become more of a regular, just practice habit. Now, the way I want you to think about this is think about these as practices, like. Um, Exercises. So in other words, if you were to have an aim in your mind that you're like, you know what, I wanna lose some weight, I wanna develop some muscle tone, and I wanna be able to begin to develop some endurance, So now you go and talk to a physical therapist or somebody that can help you with this, or a dietitian. and they'll say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to avoid these certain foods, and I want you to begin to incorporate these types of foods into your diet, and at least three times a week, I want you to go to the gym, and I want you to do this workout routine several times throughout the week. And here's the whole map of how you do this. And if you do these things, you will begin to develop certainly not just muscle, but memory, muscle memory. Better habits. Does that make sense? The fact of the matter is, this is exactly the same idea, but think about this in terms of developing your interaction with the life of God. So begin to read your Bible. Think of it as a practice. And again, for many of us, it's just simply downloading a Bible app and just starting somewhere. In fact, like I said earlier, if you want a really simple practice, start in the book of John, right? Start with the book of John, and as you read it, do that little practice that I said to you earlier, right? The LG, the LO, and the, uh, DG, do good, right? Love God, love others, you do good. And just as you are reading through the scripture, it might be just a chapter a day, begin to write down associations with those phrases to the actual passages that you're reading. And what you'll need to do, practice that. At least give you yourself maybe a week and say, I'm going to do it for a week, and just begin to study scripture. Read it. What you'll begin to develop is a pattern or habit that your life and your heart will become more awakened to who God is. Secondly, pray. Just begin to develop a habit of praying. I mentioned this last week. Uh, there's an app that you can download. It's called uh, Letheo 365. And it's a worthwhile app for you to check out. And literally, they just have a prayer, a daily prayer, that you just listen to it You pray along with it. It actually has the whole thing written out so you can read it if you want. You can listen to it. It's just a simple way of engaging God in regular prayer. You want a very simple prayer to just memorize. Start as simply with memorizing the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Just start with that. Memorize that. Pray that. Recite it. Make it part of your daily habit. And then thirdly, in terms of loving God, gathered worship. What you guys are doing here right now is part of that act of loving God. In fact, I would say that make this a commitment on a regular basis. Now again, I realize for some of you are maybe new to the area as either students or people that have moved here. And you're looking for a good church still. You're still trying to figure out where that's at. Now again, I'll you just straight up and say if this is not the church where you are worship as part of that. I realize for many of us, in fact, The statistics are not that awesome. But for most average American Christians, church attendance is maybe once every four to six weeks. Honestly, if that is a regular habit that is part of most Christians' life, I truly don't know how, development into a disciple of Jesus would be a consistent regular habit in one's life. In the same way, if someone were to come to me and be like, hey, really, really, really like, want this is physically fit, develop a good dietary habit, and I ask them, like, tell me how well do you eat and how rhythmically is that? And they're like, oh, maybe once a month I had a really good meal. It's a salad. What do you eat the rest of the month? Not salads. The fact is, is you will not get healthy. That's not enough. It has to be a habit. And what about someone might say, well, I got really good intentions. Good intentions are good, but they will not get you there. You need more than good intentions. And this is where I would suggest to you habits, practices will get you there. Daily habits, weekly habits, monthly habits will get you there. So the simple one I would just suggest is make a regular weekly practice of gathered worship, just like what you guys are doing right now. So I commend all of you right now. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. And then the week after that, and then the week after that, and then the week after that. And if it's not this church, whatever pastor or whatever leadership that you will be engaged in, that they will see you next week. And again, this is not a self-serving request. This is just, I want to see Jesus do great things during the Central Coast. The second thing is love others. And the first of the list here in loving others is gathered worship. Say that's the last of the first. Love God, right? Yes, it's exactly the case. It is connected. So I think one of the very first acts you can do in terms of loving others is gather and worship, coming together. Because there's something about getting together with other people that you do not even know that forces us. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. At the very heart of who I am, I'm kind of an introvert. I really, prefer, I let's put it this way. I do not like going to large gatherings without my wife and children. I literally want to sit in a corner and do nothing, or leave. But the fact of the matter is, is especially when it comes to gathered worship, I need this. I need you. We need each other, because there's something that happens when we gather together with people that we don't even know. We may not even like. We may not even have a whole lot in common but it forces us out of our comfort zones and into a place of becoming like Jesus. The second thing is the Lord's Supper, the regular habit of breaking bread together. Why is this important? And why is this tethered to gather worship? This is something I would say you don't, you don't do on your own. I think there's a common trend in today's world to just simply sit at home and not engage in public worship. It's easy to listen to podcasts, and those are great but it cannot take the place of gathered worship and taking communion together. The big idea of gathering together and taking communion together is a reminder that we belong to a family and that we are united by way of the supper, this bread, the cup that Jesus has given to us. And then the first thing in this movement is serving others. Serving others. Look for opportunities to give yourself away to serving others. You will never become more like Jesus. Unless you take an actual step towards serving other people. Now, on your table, you guys have little cards. You're more than welcome to fill it out if you like, if you want. If you fill it out, you can go ahead and put it in one of those donation boxes in the back. That's a way for you to uh, say, I want in. I want to be able to help. I can definitely at least serve in once a month or twice a month to just give myself away to serving others, maybe even certain people I don't even know. But the, the act of that, it's just like Jesus. Serving people who may not even know him, who might not even like him, but he gives his life serving him. This is what he did for us. So it's an act of loving others. And now, lastly, the act of doing good. The top of this list, I would say, is serving others. And Heather's, to the second thing was just loving others. Doing good looks like serving others. And I think as we begin as a community to live out this practice of loving God, loving others, doing good. We will begin to be formed to look like this community that looks like Jesus. That's at the very center of our heart. So as we close right now, what I want to do is I want to invite us to stand. And Dan will come up. He will lead us in a closing song. Uh, we will partake of communion together. We have some ushers that will be handing out the little communion elements. So they'll just kind of, you guys go ahead and start making your way around. If you would like to partake in communion with us, uh, they will hand out the communion elements to you. Feel free to just hold on to it and then we will partake together in closing. And I will make some uh, final comments with regard to what the communion is all about. So how about we all stand right now and we will just sing a chorus in response to God's love. Because at the end of the day, guys, we cannot do this on our own. To live according to this vision of loving God, loving others, and doing good. This is something we are totally dependent on God's power. We can again, like I said, have good aspirations, good hopes. We can develop a big community of people, gather together, create an amazing service. But at the end of the day, at some point this becomes vacuous. becomes shallow. If there's not love of God, love for others and people who truly are committed to very good. That's what the sustainability is. That's what the Christ-like is. And that's what the action where the rest of the world looks at church and says, wow, there's something different about that. They actually love each other. They're absolutely good towards one another." That's a message I want to listen to. And that's a greatest hope, to want people to know the gospel. And the way that people come to respond to the gospel is by first and foremost looking at you and I and how we live our lives and then respond to that. So as we sing, I just want to invite you to lift up your voice, lift up your hands and response To use your body as this instrument of worship to God and what we lead together.